Good evening, good evening, good evening. We are going to have some fun tonight. Um, I just want to warn you up front. Um, tonight's going to be a little Pentecostal. Um, and I say a little because I have been holding out on you for tomorrow morning. Now, if you're planning on leaving tonight, Ichabod, what is wrong with you? Because tomorrow morning, I'm going to dive right into the power of Pentecost, and we're going to talk about operating the gifts of the Spirit without being weirdos. How many of you have met some spiritual crazy people in your life? Raise your hand. How many of you, the person is sitting next to you? Raise your hand. How many of you, that person is you? Raise your hand. Tomorrow, I, I just know, I know this. I know that we all want more of the Holy Spirit. And we often wonder, how do I step into the next dimension of flowing and operating in the gifts? How do I encourage and exhort? How do I prophesy? How do I give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge? And how do I hear God's voice clearly for that? We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. It's going to be a choose your adventure because you're going to act out what we talk about. And it's going to be so much fun. If you can stick around for tomorrow morning, you're going to want to do that. I promise you will not leave unhappy. Tonight, I'm going to continue our series on the uh, uh, senses, and tonight our sense we're going to talk about is touch. I was looking in the Bible, and I saw something radical about touch that kind of messed me up, because I, like you have a sphere of leave me alone. How many of you go places and at times people get too close? Some people talk really close. If someone talks really close to you and you can feel their breath on your face, does that make you feel good? And so I was reading in the Bible, and I want to take you on a journey with me. On Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. This message is entitled, One Touch. Luke chapter 8, verse 40, and here's what happened. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. Everybody say, Jesus' feet. Nearly everybody in the scriptures who has an encounter with Jesus seems to have that encounter at his feet. It would seem to me that the place to be in our society and in our life is a humble place of surrender where we're at the feet of Christ, allowing Jesus to impact our humanity with his supernatural ability. But it seems to always happen when we're surrendered and at his feet. Mary, her theme song, at your feet, at your feet. It seemed like if you want to get close to Jesus, you're going to hang out at his feet. This man came and fell at Jesus. You better talk back to me. I'm turning all this white chocolate into milk chocolate right now. Y'all got to talk back to me like you're at my church, okay? So he fell at Jesus. Oh, this is going to be good, okay? Pleading with Jesus to come to his house because his own daughter, a girl of about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I love the way the King James says it. It said she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she'd spent all she had on doctors. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard that Jesus was walking by, she thought to herself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. Instantly in her body, she felt, that's a great word, parakrema, she felt that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd, and he said, Hey! Who touched me? Now, I know you read the story like I read the story, and you think, that's not the way Jesus communicates. 
Nope. I read the Bible and I read it in many different translations. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks with a British accent. So he says something like this. Hearken, who hath touched my epidermis? But that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he said. Jesus said, hey, who's touching me, man? That's what he said. I can prove that's why Je- how Jesus said it. Watch the next verse. After Jesus, the woman touched him and she was healed. Jesus said, who touched me? And the next sentence says, when they all denied it. If Jesus said it nice, like, like this Pillsbury, Pillsbury Doughboy. If that was the case, then they would have said, dude, it was me. I like touching people. It's just a thing I do. I just touch people. I, I'm a skin toucher. I don't know how else to say it. No, Jesus must have said it emphatically and everybody denied it. So much so that, that Peter walks up to Jesus and tries to talk Jesus down. He goes, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Um, listen, everyone's touching you. Okay, that's just how we roll. We like you. We're touching you. Can you not see how the crowd is crowding and pressing against you? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Someone touched me on purpose, for I felt power. Dunamis, go out of my body. At once the woman realized what she had done had not, could not go unnoticed. And trembling with fear, ooh, this is good already. Trembling with fear, she came to Jesus and fell at his Let me pause right there. Today, I'm going to show you in the next 25 minutes how Jesus healed a woman with one touch, but how he saved her life with one word. He healed a woman with one touch, but he saved her life with one word. Mm -hmm. Trembling with fear. She told Jesus the whole truth of, of, of why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I just love, and I talk about this often, even at my church, I, I talk about how Jesus is always saying go. I love that. And tomorrow morning we'll talk about the go a little bit, but I just love how Jesus ends nearly every encounter with a command to go and live, go and do, go and be, go and operate, go and exist in victory. I love that. He says, go baby, go in peace. Father, I pray tonight the next few moments, you'd supernaturally transform us, empower us, and infuse us with the, the joy of the Lord, the love of God, and a passion and compassion for healing. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Amen. Um, uh, by the way, I do have some more of our books available at the back. If you'd like to pick up our book, Undefeated, How to Live Your Life in Supernatural Victory, uh, whether you're brand new to faith or you've been living for God for a long time, you can get this book. It'll bless your life. Take it home. I told the men today, it's really important that we read with our spouse. It's really important, ladies, that if you get a book, share one with your husband. Read together. My wife and I, about 12 years ago, not 15, 12 years ago, we started reading the same books. And we started to grow together. Our conversations changed. Instead of talking about the toe fungus on Israel's foot and how we were worried that no woman would ever love that foot, we had things that were spiritual and deep. I mean, deep spiritual things to talk about. We started to journey through our, our relationship with God together. Deep things that we were able to communicate because we were reading the same things and being enriched by the same things. We're in the middle of a Bob Johnson book right now, and it's rocking our world. The supernatural power of transform mind. It's crazy. I love it. 
But what can you do to grow together? Grab that book back there. Go ahead and get it. Listen, if you can't afford the book and you're like, brother, I spent all my money this week, I'll give you a book. Go take a book, okay? If you can only buy one, buy one, and I'll give you another one because I want you to grow with your spouse, all right? Then we have our DVD series, Aroma. It's got a last night's message and then another message that I'm not going to get to this week um, called The Place Setting. It's a great story about how my mom changed our community using her table and how she, she shared her table with people in the community. I'm talking pimps, prostitutes, policemen, b- mayors, governors, everyone. It's crazy the people she's influenced just by feeding them some food and what God did th- through that. You can get that back there before you go. And then we have our t-shirts available. Um, You guys killed the t-shirts, man. I had to order more to be overnighted for the junior high kids this week. Like, they're going to walk in and be like, really? It's going to be awesome. (laughs) But we ordered more. They'll be here by Monday. So don't worry about the junior high kids. Buy them all. They help and they fund our effort to serve kids and teenagers in foster care, and I love it. It says Jesus on the back. It says he's been lit since Genesis. It's awesome. The, the whole back of the shirt glows in the dark. This one's for you, Pastor Mark. I forgot to give you one before. That is for you. You're my favorite. Don't tell the others. Okay. Here we go. Oh, I can't wait to yell about this stuff. So, years ago, I was a missionary, a part-time missionary. Just six years, my wife and I were back and forth in Hong Kong. I know what you're thinking. I do not look like a Hong Kong missionary. It's true. I mean, I'd walk around, and, and sometimes little kids would come to me, and they'd be like, Shaquille O'Neal. I'd be like, no! I am not Shaquille. I'm Alan. And then one time, a kid in the airport, this is true, he walked up to me, he goes, Michael Jordan. I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I signed that boy's autograph and everything. I'm going to jail. But when I, one thing I learned in China that was really important is, is honor. The honor culture is a beautiful thing. If you've never been to China, I mean, there's a lot of problems with government. But I'm going to tell you right now, the culture of honor is a beautiful thing. And, and, and I love it so much. But there was one problem. I, I never could sit alone when I went to eat or to get a cup of coffee. I'd go into a shop and I'd sit down by myself at a table and just relax. And the next guest that came in, walk in, nine tables and me, get their coffee, turn around, walk right over to my table, empty, rest of the room's empty. May I sit? (sighs) Yes. And whether or not we could even effectively communicate mattered little. That person, I'm not joking, would sit right by me. Food court, food court in the mall, empty. There there might be 100 people and there's 500 seats. I sit down. The next person in line at the same sandwich shop would go get their sandwich and come sit right by me. Finally, I asked a pastor, great pastor in um, the Yunlong Kam Kwang Church in the New Territories of Hong Kong. His name was Billy Lau. I said, Pastor Billy, I don't get it, bro. Every time I go to a restaurant or a food court or anything, coffee shop and sit down, someone comes and sits next to me. I said, what is this? What is this? I don't understand. He said, honor. Honor. 
He said, in our country, we're used to living amongst millions and hundreds of millions of people. And so what we've learned to do is, is to prefer each other. When we come in and you're sitting by yourself and there's empty seats, we don't want you to sit alone. We're not going to sit over here and make you think that we don't care about you or that you're not good enough for us. We're going to come and sit right there next to you if you permit us. He said this, because space is waste. Space is waste. He said, that's what honor is. We don't waste anything. We don't even waste seats here because we want you to know that we value you and we value the space and we're not going to waste anything. Wow. Can I tell you that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, space is waste. These people wanted to get as close as they could to Jesus. They do anything to get closer and close to Jesus. But there was a problem. There were some haters in the story. Who are they? The disciples. Lean over to your neighbor and say, sometimes we're the problem. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. <laughs> Jesus said, amen. You notice that my Jesus is kind of like an angry, um, like George Jefferson, like an angry little George Jefferson you noticed? <laughs> he said, amen. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And only after Jesus had placed his hands on these children did he go on from there. He stayed there until he touched them all. See, in society today, we don't like touch. We've lost touch. I don't know why. I don't know how it happened. But I remember a day, and, and I'm not that old, I'm 50. Wait, hold up. When I say my age, I don't look my age. You're supposed to go, <gasps> let's practice. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 50. <laughs> Thank you. I remember when, man, you go to church and all you did was hug people. And we used to have something in the, in the charismatic church called the love feast. Remember that? We'd walk around, just hug people for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It was great. We'd walk around, except for when people had bad breath. It was great. Everything else was great. But somehow, and, and, and I don't think it was COVID, somehow we've been losing our touch. And it's not good. We've lost affection. And here's how I know it's getting really serious, is if you watch movies or TV, we don't have any romance anymore. We don't have romance. Remember romance movies? Like the whole movie, the whole goal was one kiss. Just a kiss. Just if I could. The first time ever I saw your face. I mean, it's like, if I could just, the, the dude's behind bars reaching out. And she's like, I just want to touch your skin. Now. You turn on a movie, I don't care if it's on Nickelodeon, all the way up to the, the latest Netflix. You turn it on, here's how it goes. Guy sees girl across the bar. Girl sees guy across the bar. Music starts. Mm, 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 mm. Sexuality. It's like zero to bedroom like that. There's not even any holding. I used to just, if I could just hold a girl's hand. I mean, think about it. We have a whole song. I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your 
You ain't hearing a song like that now. It's crazy. Dude, when I was in, in junior high and high school, all I wanted to do was hold pinky fingers. If I could just hold pinky fingers with a girl, then I knew that I was going to be okay. Like she valued me. Pinky fingers walking around. Woo, that would be a, a kiss on the cheek. <sighs> touch. Touch. Now, I am a little strange about touch because I started a campaign my sophomore year in high school that I was going to hug every student in my high school every year. That every student in my high school would know that I loved them because I hugged them. And some of them, I kissed them on the face and they thought I was crazy, but I did not care. It's not assault when you're underage. Because I even noticed back then things were shifting, man. Things were changing. And we were losing sight of affection and touch, of intimacy and love. Yeah. And, and this isn't new because during Jesus, the disciples were the haters. They were the shimmyes. People were bringing little children to Jesus for Jesus to touch them. And, and, and the disciples were like, hey, man, get that ugly little boy away from Jesus. You are such a liar. There is no such thing as ugly children. Oh, yes, there are some ugly children. <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers. <laughs> I'm never getting invited back, am I? You see, the same problem we have today with, with COVID and, and the such, they had back then. Jesus would have been considered an elder in society. At 30 plus years of age, when the average age of maturity or, or death was in the mid-40s, Jesus would have been considered an elder in society. And these disciples said, hey, listen, these little walking Petri dishes known as kindergartners, if they touch Jesus, he might get sick and die. Get your dirty little snotty kid off of Jesus. That's what they were doing. They're trying to protect Jesus but Jesus said no you don't the kingdom of heaven is not these guys in the future the kingdom of heaven is these children now I'm halfway done preaching now I'm going to talk about culture and we're going to dive into activating this message okay so Jesus was teaching them to step out of their community culture and into the kingdom culture you see the community culture was an honor dishonor culture much like many countries of the world today if you brought honor to your family good if you brought dishonor whoo trouble all the way up to being murdered by your own parents if you brought enough dishonor Jesus came and said, no, no, no. The way you've been doing things is, is not what I want. My kingdom is not going to be based on honor, dishonor. It's going to be based on love. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the kingdom culture. And this culture was radical. Get ready to get something new because this is going to be so cool. I love this stuff. This is my, one of my favorite things because Jesus shifted culture so dramatically we read the bible and miss it all the time that's why we have to study the bible don't just read the bible study the bible don't just read the book read books about the book you're reading so that you'll understand what's happening if you read that you're going to grow it's crazy so in this kingdom culture jesus was diametric to culture of the community in the community if you wanted to be a a a, a servant of the the rabbi you would chase the rabbi down. Come here, Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark is now Rabbi Marcus. And if a young man wanted to come on up here, man, you're slim and handsome, right? You look good. So if, if 
I was a 12-year-old young man, and I wanted to be a servant of the rabbi, and I wanted to become a rabbi myself. He would be walking around, and I would be following him. And wherever he went, I'd follow him. And you know what I'd do? I'd pull on the tassels of his prayer shawl. It was super irritating to the priest, but he would do it. To the, to the rabbi, they would do it. They would tug on the tassels of the prayer shawl, and they'd keep tugging on it, saying, Rabbi, teach me. Rabbi, teach me. Rabbi, teach me. Until finally the rabbi would stop. They almost never would turn around and look, but they would say in Galilee particularly, they would say this, $5. $5. And the young man would go, sweet, I'll be back. And they'd run and they'd go work and they'd get money to pay the rabbi and they'd pay the rabbi and the rabbi from then on would teach them. If the rabbi did not like that young man because that young man wasn't being good in school, price went up. The rabbi would stop and say something expensive. A hundred dollars. And the young man would feel sad. He shouldn't have thrown any racers. How many of y'all wish teachers could do that now? Like charge more if kids are bad in school. That'd be great. Thank you, Rabbi Marcus. But here's what's incredible. Jesus did that. Jesus flipped the culture. The culture was you chased the rabbi, but Jesus chased them. He said, I didn't, you didn't pick me. I picked you. You guys come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't make them pay him. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give myself as a ransom for many. Jesus flipped the culture. I'm so glad he didn't make me run to him, that Jesus came to me. I could not come to him, but he gave his life on a cross that we could be forgiven. I love Jesus. But there was a price, and there is a price to follow him, isn't there? It's not just money. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've kept all the laws. I've kept all the commandments. Jesus paused and said, this one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Get all the money to the poor and come follow me. And the Bible said the man walked away because the price was too. Sound familiar? This Jesus was so cool because he did not go through the conventions of culture. He brought them to an understanding of liberty and joy in relationship with him. The disciples would have been so happy just to be his slaves because that's what they did. I, I could go detailed on this, but man, I'm telling you, get the series. The, there's so many details, but they start off in school as students, but at a certain point, they step into what's called Beth Safer, the, the, the time where they would serve the rabbi hand and foot like a slave. Whatever the, the, the rabbi wanted, they'd get it. They'd sleep at the doorway, and if the rabbi stirred in his bed, Rabbi, can I get you something? What do you want? You want some water? What do you want to get you? I'll do anything. And they would do that for 22 years. That's where we get the idea of a master plumber. And then an understudy or, or someone who's learning to become a plumber. It's all from the understanding of the Jewish traditions of education. You would serve the man to get what the man had. The knowledge, the wisdom, the opportunity. Jesus didn't do this. He called them first and then get this. 
After he called them, he didn't call them servants. John 15, 14, he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father in heaven, I've made known to you. We even sing about it. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God, yeah. I am a friend of God. He calls me. Great song, isn't it? But guess what? It's not who you are. That's the entry. That's the entry into his kingdom. You come in as friends, but you don't stay friends. You say he's just a friend. You don't stay friends. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, here's what happened. While Jesus was still talking to a crowd, his mother and brother stood outside. They should have come inside. His mother and brother stood outside. They should have come inside, wanting to speak to him. Someone said to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They should have came inside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother? You hear George Jefferson again? And who are my brothers? Now, Jesus is not being cheeky. Let me explain. Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and sister and sister and sister and sister and sister and sister. Because modern theologians have discovered that two thirds of his disciples were more than likely ladies. And sister and mother. Now, was Jesus being a jerk here? Nope. 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 Jesus was teaching. He was teaching that you may come in as friends, but now you're my family. You may come in as my buddies because you don't know me very well. But the minute you abide in me and I abide with you, in other words, we start living together in relationship, you are my family. That's who you are. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what I thought. How could you call these people your family? This is weird. This doesn't go along with our honor, dishonor culture. But you have to understand Jesus couldn't stand that culture. Because that culture had hurt him his whole life. Jesus was born of a virgin. How many people believed that virgin? Nobody. They called Mary all kinds of names. If we went back in time to Christmas, we would rename it the Dysfunctional Family Christmas. Because Mary got jacked up and mistreated. Shoot, we would change the song. Mark Lowey, your song is not effective. Mary, did you know that your mother would call you a hussy to your face? Like, seriously. What if your 14, 16, 18-year-old daughter came home and goes, I was at prayer meeting and I got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You'd be like, you a liar and the truth ain't in you. I'm going to put you in that tower and lock you up till Shrek comes with a dragon to save you. Because that's how wacky you sound right now. So Mary in this honor-dishonor culture is for the rest of her life, theologians are telling us this, for the rest of her life, running for her life. Because the way that her family gets their honor back is to kill her. That's how they get their honor back. Think about this. After Jesus is born, where do they go live? Do they go back to his hometown? Herod's killing off the firstborn, right? So where do they go? Egypt. Why? You know blood's thicker than water. They should have stuck together. They should have defended Mary. No. She felt like if her family had a chance to, to get Jesus murdered, they'd be good for it. Because that brings the honor back to the family. They didn't have room in the inn. 
Joseph had been going to the same house for Passover every year since his coming of age. That room had been there for years. No room was all that meant is we don't have room for you. Go out there. Her whole life. Jesus' whole life. Jesus was called names. Jesus was mistreated. You remember the scripture we grew up to? I told you Sunday school is fun for getting us a great foundation. When we were growing up, we used to read a scripture. And the black preachers in my church, Community Bible Baptist Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Starlin, Washington, would step up and go, Jesus is the wheel within the wheel. Jesus is the lily of the valley. And Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. And we used to get shouting and excited. But let's translate that statement. Jesus said, I'm the stone. The builders rejected. What was his dad, his job? Carpenter. The, the term they use is tecton. Worship team, give me three minutes. Tecton, he's a builder. They work with stone. They work with wood. They work with everything to get their hands on. Not much wood, though, in the desert. Jesus said, I'm the stone. The builders. Who's the builders? His family. I'm the stone the builders have rejected that now has become the chief cornerstone. What does that even mean? Here's what I believe it means. I believe he looked at his disciples. He looked at those around him who'd been rejected and pushed back by society. Disciples who had been passed over for being served and led as rabbis themselves. He looked at them and said, you know what? I've been rejected too, but now I'm building a new kingdom. In this kingdom, if you're not, if, if you don't, be, or, I'm sorry, if you're not picked up, you're left behind. But in my kingdom, nobody's left behind. I'm going to build a new kingdom and I'm the foundation for everyone who's been rejected, mistreated, talked about, left behind. Everyone who's been hated on and spit on, you have a place right here with me. In this kingdom, it will never end. People always, when I preach this, they go, are you sure that's what happened? Okay. They left Jesus behind Passover in Jerusalem. The perfect son you left behind. You didn't leave James a sorry butt behind. How many happy meals did James multiply? None. You got a son who's never sinned and you forget him behind, you leave him behind? That's insane. And then when they go back and, and find them, the whole family didn't even help. Mary and Joseph did it on their own. Family's like, whatever, forget that joker. Mary and Joseph find them, and, and Joseph, I believe, figured it out. That's why he didn't say anything. He held his tongue. Mary goes, baby, why'd you do this to us? Why'd you leave us like this? I don't understand what's going on. And Jesus said, but mom, did you not know I've chosen my profession? You see, at 12 years of age, the young men choose their profession whether they're going to be in their earthly father's business or they're going to do heavenly father business. And Jesus said, I've chosen, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. Yeah. That's Jesus. The community culture had let him down, but the kingdom he was building would save us all. I'm almost done. You guys get anything out of this? <laughs> I'm having fun. Okay. Worship team, come on up here. Make me sound spiritual. Come on. So in the, the community culture of the Jewish people, you have this rule. Not only do you have ceremonial cleanness, 
okay, where you wash and you do ceremony things so that you can hang out in the temple and, or the tent or around the tent. But they also had cultural cleansing called Shomer Nagia. Let's practice that. Shomer Nagia. It's really important if you ever meet a practicing Jewess, beautiful Jewish woman, you, you are to, first of all, address them shalom and not touch them because you and I don't know if they're practicing Nagia. Nagia means with regards to touch. And, and in this Orthodox and, and Hasidic practicing Jews, they believe this, that if you were to touch a woman, you're to, she could cause you to stumble because she's so hot. That's my own translation of it, okay? But, but the honor is we don't want you to stumble. So rather than touch you, today they have this grace of wearing gloves so they can shake your hand and you not feel rejected. Because a normal greeting is a hug and a kiss. And they wanted the women to avoid and men to avoid this appearance of evil. It's a very honorable thing. But back then, if you didn't produce honor, you produced dishonor. Now you understand what was happening. Why was the woman that had the issue of blood terrified of Jesus? Who is ever terrified? He, he has little babies running up to him. Nah, 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 nah. Ugly little babies, and Jesus doesn't even reject them. Babies with snot, poo, everything, dirty. Nothing. Jesus hugging them, kissing them, touching them. And this woman just got healed, y'all. Completely healed. And she's afraid after she's healed. Why? Shomer Nagia. Shomer Nagia. You see, in her community, if they discovered that someone, the Shomer Nagia, had touched a rabbi, had touched a holy man, a great leader, that crowd would have turned bad real quick. They would have dragged her to the base of a cliff, gone to the top of it with rocks, dropped the rocks on her until she was dead. How dare you touch? At the very least, they'd excommunicate her from community. She could never come back to their community, which means she would starve or have to turn to prostitution to survive. It was bad. And Jesus is walking in the crowd and a woman touches him. He didn't know who touched him. He goes, hey! Who touched me? And the whole crowd went, no, no, no. We're Shomer and Nagia. We're not supposed to. Baby, get back, get back, get back. It's Uncle Bootsy, Jesus. He be touching everybody, Jesus. It was Bootsy. Because everyone's trying to protect their family from the community culture of honor, dishonor. Trying to keep them from getting murdered just for touching the holy man of God. Can you see how culture can fail us? Oh, stranger, danger, bad touching. I'm not saying that the bad touching is okay. What I'm saying is that no touch is not okay. You need touch to survive. Physiologically, there's no difference between you and a baby and babies need touch multiple times per hour. And you do it without even knowing it, but then you forget that you need it. COVID has proven one thing when young people are committing suicide all over the United States of America. We need touch. We need touch. 
as I've done public school assemblies after COVID came to close, here's what's happened. Teachers and, and, and educational professionals have begun to break down the lines because the law says they can't even touch your kids. But if they don't, your kids are in trouble. And so I'm lining up teachers and I'm lining up students and, and we're, we're speed date hugging. In gymnasiums, in, in auditoriums. Why? Because touch heals you. And one touch can heal you. Huh. The woman was afraid because she knew that if she told everybody that she touched Jesus, they wouldn't even stay to listen to the rest of the story. They would drag her away and murder her on the spot. And Jesus listens to the words she says because she chose that she'd rather die than not tell Jesus how good he is. She would rather die than hold back on Jesus' worship. So trembling with fear, she falls at his feet and Jesus looks at her and he says one word. I told you, Jesus healed her with one touch, but he saved her soul with one word. What word was that? What word did he use? Daughter. He looked at her and he said, daughter. And when you read this in the Bible, like I read, I'm like, that ain't his daughter. Jesus had no babies. Who's he sleeping with? Is Jesus lying? No. That's why I took the time to explain to all of us and myself, I had to study this, why Jesus believed that his spiritual family was his indeed family. Because Jesus needed family too. He understood the need for a supernatural family inasmuch that his disciples became his family. He said, if you serve the Lord, you are my brother. You are my sister. You are my mother. And we all have the same daddy. You are a part of my family. So when he looked at her and he said, daughter, he killed two birds with one stone. The crowd went, oh man, that's his family. Of course she's Shomer Nagia. She can touch her brother. She can touch her father. That's okay. <laughs> And he also was including her in his discipleship of the kingdom. You are a part of our family. Remember that song? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We're family. And in the family, you don't beg. And in the family, if you cry, you don't cry alone. And, and in the family, your needs are my needs. And I'm going to do what I can to help your needs, even if I need a cosigner for my mortgage. Right, Mark? You're going to help me? We're family. <laughs> my dad passed away in 2012. My mom in 2021, January 2021. I always loved my church family. I've always loved you, but now I love you more because I don't have mom here. I don't have dad here. 
And I feel like I'm starting to get more up there than I have down here. But when I hang out with you, I'm reminded that I still have family. You give me hope. You're my family. And I love you. I don't think I've ever loved you more than I do right now. I used to read Peter's and, 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 and Luke and, and Paul's writings and I'd be like, how can you love people that aren't your family like this? You're writing and talking about, I long to be with you. Now I get it. Because once you lose your crutch, you start to realize that there's firmer ground than you imagined all around you. You're my firm ground. In a moment, we're going to do some things that you've probably never done before in churches. Maybe you've done it, but it was a long time ago. We're going to have a love feast. But it's a supernatural one. I'm not going to do what I did um, in Florida at, at one of my home churches. I, what happened was I had grandma and grandpa come to the front and everybody came and hugged grandma and grandpa. It was a three hour altar. Holy Ghost wrecked everybody, wrecked, I mean wrecked. You know when white people fall down, it's God, right? They're like, I wish you would try to push me down, black man. You know, it's, but man, I'm telling you, there's something about a touch. There's something about a touch. But this altar time, you're gonna be able to do all throughout this room.